This is episode 220 of IDRA Class Notes. I'm coming back to doing work with principals as a whole. When you have 15, 20, 25 principals in the room together, school districts do not deliberately or intentionally provide that kind of opportunity for principals to be able to sit in a room together and engage in a process of critical reflection to see the vulnerability in others and then also see the expertise that everybody brings as a collective, as a group, instead of being competing against each other. Welcome to Idra's Plasnode Podcast. I'm Dr. Nilke Aviles, and today I'm very happy to have Dr. Encarnacion Garza here to talk about the art of reflection for school leaders. Good morning, Dr. Garza. Good morning. Buenos dias. Good morning. Dr. Garza is a professor at the University of Texas in San Antonio. He is the main leader of the Urban School Leadership Collaborative. Tell us a little bit about the collaborative, Dr. Varsa, and how you started it and then the status of it now. Just as quickly as I can do this, because it's a long story. It's a, it's, it's a 20-year-old program. And I have to say that I did not start this program. I was recruited to come and work with this program, specifically with this program, uh, when Dr. Merchant, Betty Merchant, and uh, Blandina Cardenas, the dean, and Dr. Merchant was the chair so they were kind of like the founders of this program, along with Dr. Ruben Olivares from SAISD. The Urban School Leaders Collaborative is a closed cohort model for SAISD employees. It's a two-year program that prepares leaders to be social justice advocates. And along the way, if they want to, we add a principal certificate if they want to be administrators. And most of them do. But we emphasize that this is not a certification program. It is a leadership preparation program that focuses on leaders as social justice advocates. Uh, You know that in academia, in the preparation of future leaders, in coaching and mentoring principals and leadership teams in schools, having them reflect on their practices is important in the transformation of schools, right? Would you please explain what you consider what leadership reflection is? Sure. The way, the way I understand it and the way I practice it, I uh, consider it to be mostly engaging students in critical reflection. And that is with the goal and purpose of students understanding the notion of emancipation and liberation that emanates or starts with them. Great. Why is reflection important? In leadership, why, why is it important? In a very short and simple explanation, it's I'm going to use the context of me as a, an instructor in an ed leadership program and how I engage students. And I always tell my students, because I experienced it myself as well, is that first you should seek to know who you are, learn about what your beliefs are. Uh, learn what your non-negotiables are, learn what you stand for. And critical reflection is a, an engaging process that uh, compels them to look critically uh, within. 
And you mentioned for students, but I know that you also have done this for leaders in school, you know, coaching principals. How do you go about that with them? Absolutely. I have uh, engaged in uh, many projects in my career working with adults uh, that are practitioners. And I find that in most cases, school districts do not have a formal or an intentional induction program to induct principals into their leadership roles, right? So it's very challenging for sitting principals to sit down in a group amongst themselves and engage in critical reflections so that the first experience I have is always working with them to convince them that it's okay to waste a little bit of time reflecting upon themselves, right? So that's the first challenge. The second challenge is getting them to a degree of vulnerability so that they can not only reflect individually, because reflection is always done in two ways, at least in the way I practice it. It's always done individually, but it must also be done collectively. It should be shared reflection. The reason it's important to do it with sitting principals or sitting leaders is it gives them an opportunity to learn together and to learn from each other. Excellent. What is reflection consider a what we call a core unit or a core trait for successful leadership? Well, again, it goes back to the the process of critical reflection. It's time consuming. It's time demanding. What it does is if it's done seriously in a critical way, and I always say critical because it can't be just reflection alone. It has to be critical reflection. It's important because it forces the the leader, the individual, to be hypersensitive of his surroundings, the position of power that could be interpreted as very oppressive. And because you have a position of power, it's very likely that your the people you work with will kind of relinquish whatever power they have to the leader, right? And so as a leader, you need to be very, very hypersensitive not to abuse the power in a way that oppresses the people that you're working with. Excellent, excellent. And I know that it's challenging to balance all of the duties and everything else, the the daily operations of the school. But I know principals that actually, at the end of the day, they take a few minutes uh, of their time before they go home and even record themselves in the actual reflective practice that they're trying to do. And talking to some of them, they indicated that it helps them actually look at how the day went, what things they could change or modify the next day, and at the same time, their own learning, you know, activities that they, or from the activities what they have learned to ensure that they uh, support their teachers and their students and their parents and community. Absolutely. Well, now that you say that, it's if they get into that kind of practice. Uh, One of the major benefits, I think, it's a therapeutic process. It's therapeutic to to give your mind a break from the the intensity of the job, from 6 o'clock in the morning to sometimes 10 o'clock in the evening engaged as a principal. I'm thinking about principals in particular because that's the most time-intensive emotional job that I have ever had myself. And it's a practice that I think 
it's good for the soul. It's good for, for the mind to kind of give your, your mind a little break so you can re-energize and be ready for the next intensive day, right? And so I'm coming back to, to doing work with principals as a whole in a district, right? When you have 15, 20, 25 principals in the room together, school districts do not deliberately or intentionally provide that kind of opportunity for principals to be able to sit in a room together and engage in a process of critical reflection that forces them and compels them to be vulnerable, but then also to see the vulnerability in others, and then also see the expertise that everybody brings as a collective, as a group, instead of being competing against each other. That's a great point, that they don't compete against each other, but that they support each other. Yeah. And you talk about the vulnerability. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Critical reflection, very emotionally uh, demanding, right? And it's emotionally demanding because in the process that I use as students, as participants begin to build trust with each other and they trust the facilitator, in this case me, or you when we've taught together, it takes a, a little time for them to be trusting, right? And the more they become, they trust each other, the more they're willing to share. And I say vulnerable because it always happens. The more they engage in reflection, the better the trust, the more they're willing to share about their own painful experiences, things they have repressed for a long time that have gotten in the way of them moving forward in a way where trauma does not have to be with you all the time. You can never get rid of trauma, but you can move on from trauma. And now I'm, I'm talking like a counselor because that's my background in counseling, but they analyze their lived experiences. And all of us have memories that cost us a lot of pain, whether it was at school or at home or, or at the workplace. And so when students start sharing that, that's when I know that reflection is working. And not only do we get stuck in identifying those painful experiences, but they also know that others have similar experiences, that they're not unique in that way. And then they start learning about how, from each other, what are some ways to cope with that experience. That's uh, definitely very important. And I know that it actually helps you move forward, like you mentioned, when you know that the circumstances that you have had, some other people have them as well, and that they have learned to cope and they have, you know, just the fact that you can talk about it sometimes uh, and say, you know, this happened to me right now at school. Uh, this is the decision I made. I really, you know, maybe I think that that's not the right decision. And talking to another peer about it, you know, you get to sure. kind of like come up with a, with a maybe a better solution or better insight in what you're doing and um, it helps the mind, you know, clear thoughts and clear actions. I'm actually, we may have to modify and adjust. You share that a process. Can you tell us what is the process or how do you model and support others in reflection? You know, what, what is it that you do? Yeah. Well, um, before I do that, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the power of reflection is not complete until 
those who participate in the process start applying it in their practice themselves, start using the process with their teachers, with their students, or whoever they work with, right? So if they're leaders, it, it behooves them to engage who they work with in the same kind of process, right? So you want to know about the process, right? It really is a very simple in terms of how you structure it. The difficult part is staying true to it. The difficult part is reflection is ongoing and never ends, right? The process never ends. Even when you're done with the formal activity, students go home at night driving home and they're still reflecting, right? So the process is simple. When I work with a group, I tell them, of course, we call it the uh, reflective exercise protocol. Rule number one is everybody contributes. So if you have 50 people in there, everybody has to contribute. And as a facilitator, I kind of make sure that I know who hasn't gone because sometimes I have to kind of nudge them a little bit. Uh, I hardly ever have to, but especially towards the end of the group, right? So as a group, rule number one is everybody has to participate. Nobody passes, in other words. And rule number two is that it is not an interactive process. Sometimes I'll tell them you have 45 seconds, you have two minutes, or I'll give them a time frame, depending on the prompts that I provide, right? So everybody has to contribute. It is not an interactive discussion because at the end, once everybody has gone, then I'll open it up for further comments or questions or anything else they want to discuss. That's when they can ask uh, each other, well, you know, I had a very similar experience. How did you deal with this? Or how did you do that? Or how did you feel about this? Whatever. So it becomes a interactive after everybody has gone. The other thing that I always do is that the facilitator also participates, also contributes, also answers to the same prompt. If I provide a prompt about what was your greatest accomplishment and why was it your greatest accomplishment? Well, I, I also, as a facilitator, do that, right? And basically, that's the process. Very, very critically important, too, is that they don't have to raise their hand to speak. They jump in whenever there's a spot to jump in. And I don't have an order. I, mean, I don't start on one end of the room and end up at the other. And there's a purpose for that, because if I start at the beginning of the, uh, on one side of the room, then by the time I get to the last one, maybe the first ones are not listening anymore because they've already done their part. And so jump in when you're ready. And what that does is it keeps you on a, on a listening mode. You're listening to everybody before you speak, right? So those are the basic rules. Everybody goes, it's not interactive, and you jump in when you're ready, and then we'll discuss it at the end. And of course, the other rule that for me, for the facilitator, is that I also have to reflect. That's great. You know the process very well. <laughs> yes. And I've seen it in action with students. So I, I know in terms of vulnerability, you know, what they actually come up with. And relationships are critical, right? Those trusting relationships are critical for the process to be effective. And the last question I have is, 
what remarks or comments or words of wisdom you can give to others about critical reflection? First of all, for me personally, as a facilitator and a practitioner and a believer of critical reflection, it's very healing for me. So if you think about it, what is so good about it? First of all, think about what it does to you as a facilitator, right? And from a selfish perspective, it provides me as a facilitator uh, the opportunity to work with others who are, have very similar experiences and together we can begin the, the healing process. There's open wounds and then there's wounds that are maybe scabbed already. And maybe there's wounds that are already scarred. And so depending on where you are as a facilitator or practitioner, if they're fresh wounds or Sometimes I tell the students, I tell the participants, the process of reflection helps you uh, understand that sometimes you may have to, to peel that scab and let it, let it bleed again so that you can provide your own uh, antibiotics to fix it, right? I think that reflection will not happen on its own. People will not say, well, I think I'm going to engage in reflection. I think it has to be deliberate, intentional applied and sustained and be committed to doing it long-term because like everything else, if you only do it one-stop shop, it goes away. I don't know if that answered your question, but I'm convinced that the reason why the Urban School Leaders Collaborative is very effective, and I'm talking about a preparation program for leaders, is because of the practice of reflection, not only verbally, individually, but mostly collective, but also in writing through reflective journaling. And the biggest project, of course, is the autoethnography that at the end also becomes a collective. And when they analyze each other's stories and write a paper and go and present it and share it at a national conference. So um, I think that if reflection was not part of this program, the USLC would not be a recognized program. No, it's a, I know it was recognized and I was there when it happened. One of the things that I just wanted to say is that I have seen the impact of reflection in students and how it transferred to their practices. Because sometimes themselves in what they do at school, they even realize that they have been oppressive to their students. So then they start then, wait a minute, I'm doing this, which is not what I'm supposed to do. So they reflect upon that and then they change their attitudes and their actions, actually, when they are uh, working with others. Well, and you remind me of the most important part of all this is that when they do that, what you just described, they have become critically conscious. They know better. Exactly. You know, and this is all the work we draw heavily from Freire's work of critical consciousness. And when you share those kinds of experiences and they're doing that, we can say, you know what? They are critically conscious. They're aware. Thank you very much, Dr. Garza. It's been a pleasure to have you here talking about reflection and the importance of it. And I know that the people that were actually listening to this podcast will benefit and learn from it. And hopefully they will actually learn the process and, and begin to practice it. Thank, Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.